Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Elvin Taylor. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. The next hour is devoted to learning something more, not just about the world of shoes and ships and sealing wax, but about how, what, and why we believe as we do. A time for the open-minded, willing to challenge some of those old ideas behind what we think we know, who we are, and who we might just become. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. All right, our chat room is open, and my partner, Ravinder, Wait you there now. You can log on by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. We do have a great chat room, so Rav, tell us all about it, please. Yes, we have a great chat room, a good group of people, but more important than that is all the things that I learn from the other people in the chat room. They're always adding their pearls of wisdom um, to the show, so it adds a whole new dimension. I hope you can come join me if you're at a place where you can get on your computer. So that is provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. If you can't come on live because you're driving or something like that, then you can always come in later on and read through the chat log, and then if we've posted any information, you can access it then. And that includes videos, as we often have a, a video, as we do today, about the subject of our guest. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes, we do often have, you know, the guest or one of their people in there, and they give us even more information. That's okay. very cool. In this week's Spotlight, I'd like to dis- address an issue that's, you know, very fitting for today's Provocative Enlightenment radio show. And that's the notion of complaining. If you stop for a moment and think about it, we all have complaints. Perhaps as the election approaches, your complaints are about the nature of this presidential campaign and the intolerable low among our so-called leaders that we have seen during this cycle. Or perhaps you find drivers in traffic to be numbskulls or nincompoops that are always making your daily commute a nightmare. Maybe you just experienced horrible service at a diner or a retail outlet, and that has you thinking about complaining to management. And I could go on and on, but is it ever productive to complain? Not long ago, my wife was the blunt of racial treatment in a local grocery store, and I insisted upon registering a complaint with management. The fellow involved no longer works there, and I hope he learns something as a result. But should I have complained at all? My lovely wife dismissed his treatment as mild compared to what she dealt with when growing up in England. But to me, this behavior was unacceptable. So was I right to register my disgust? I often vote with my dollars, and when a company offends me in some way, I may cease doing business with them. This, too, represents a complaint, albeit perhaps an unspoken one at that. So is complaining ever appropriate? There are those who argue that complaining is of no value. I used to complain about drivers who suddenly changed lanes without looking or signaling, or who drove 40 in a 55, and so forth. Again, my pretty bride spoke up, offering a complaint about my complaining. Today, when this happens, I smile, look over at my wife, and simply say, Bless them. But did you catch the irony here? If she had not complained to me about complaining, I would still be complaining. 
That said, when I say, bless you, am I not still recognizing their poor driving? And isn't this just another form of complaining? Now, in fairness, often complaining is how a person deflects responsibility. It's not my fault, sort of rationalization. I've reported on just how this form of reasoning is often employed by inmates to justify their criminal behavior. I've also remarked recently on how some folks complain about their health and other matters in their effort to obtain attention. So sometimes complaining is just another form of self-sabotaging behavior. And that brings me back to the original question. Is it ever appropriate to complain? Is there a difference between constructive criticism and complaining? If so, how do we differentiate the two? What would a complaint-free world be like? Should we all begin to develop a new method of objecting to ill-dignified and inappropriate actions by utilizing constructive criticism instead of complaints? I can certainly see value to this approach if for no other reason than the difference is good for my body, good for your body, good in that it eliminates all of those negative feelings that lead to the release of neurochemicals that place the body on alert and thereby interfere with the optimal operation of our immune, endocrine, and autonomic nervous system. Well, in other words, these negative chemicals interrupt our best interest with regard to health, wellness, and longevity. So maybe a complaint-free world would be the best. Your thoughts on this one, Ravinder? Oh, I think this is a really good issue, um, you know, because it does go in both directions just for, you know, to fill in a few gaps there. Um, Yeah, the guy at the grocery store, yeah, he was annoying. I just thought he was stupid, was all. But he didn't represent the store. He was just an employee there. So complaining about him, that's fine. Anything else, it's like, oh, forget it. It's just not worth it. Those are the microaggressions, and you can't complain about every microaggression or your life would go crazy. Um, complaining about somebody else's driving, well, the other driver can't hear you. So all it is is the passengers in the car that suddenly get blasted with this higher volume and, you know, your own body chemistry. So what is the practical? So maybe there, therein lies the answer. What's the practical application for complaining? And hopefully our guest today can give us his um, input because I do think this is a really important subject. I don't think it's quite as black and white as um, it may seem. Well, I don't know about black and white, but we'll certainly ask him about that. I can tell you his book is a great read. But first, every week I read some of your letters as a way of involving you while paying respect to the very important role you play in making this show successful. Last week our guest was Jack Schaefer, and we discussed his delightful book, The Like Switch. Owen wrote, Your show with Jack Schaefer has to be among your best. I really enjoyed his insights, especially those about how to meet new people. CB wrote, I have a lot of different interests and genuinely enjoy conversations with people sharing their interest or passion. I'm very open to that. I just do not have a very permeable friend skin. Common interest is not enough. I have to see the person in different situations and get a feel for how well they walk in their own skin, their self-integrity. Temporary conformity to achieve a goal is nearly the same as lying as far as I'm concerned. 
Richard commented, taking an interest in a new and thus uncomfortable subject to initiate a relationship is not to leverage an interest for personal gain. It is a genuinely empathic act. Barbara wrote, it can be hard to make new friends unless you broaden your own interests. Moving on, Susan wrote, I used your subliminal material years ago when cassette tapes were popular for anxiety disorder. I was very ill with panic attacks and did not want to take medication. One of the most helpful solutions were these tapes that I listened to before bedtime. If you can open your mind to something that is unconventional, I think you will be surprised how much it helps. Steve wrote, Eldon, the system you created is simply fantastic. On Sunday, I was at a social event, and I came across a lady, and we spoke for a while. She told me what she was trying to accomplish, and I asked her a couple of questions. She answered them, and then I asked her if she ever found herself being a little negative about some things or situations. Her answer was yes. I gave her the website, intertalk.com. I said, contact them and get a CD titled End Self-Destructive Patterns and listen to it 24 24 times once a day. I then said, watch the magic happen. Well, thanks, Steve. It does often seem like magic. Your thoughts on that one, Ravinder? It definitely can seem like magic. I, you know, I remember once... um I would put on the Joy of Humor program. It was for quality control purposes. It wasn't something that I was doing because I felt like I needed to be sure. humorous. But that particular day, I had been re- really grumpy. You know how you just get out of bed sometimes in a grumpy mood? And I, I just was. and yeah, I, just, I know how you do that. I could tell the story for myself. Thank you. But, um, but yeah, no, I was just cranky, but I had the joy of humor playing on in the background just so that I could hear it through. And I was having a conversation at the same time. And then I turned to a colleague and said, isn't this fun? And then I caught myself because it was, it, was, it was such a sudden turnaround. You know, the program had been playing in the background for half an hour, an hour, and not a great deal of time. But yeah, to have a sudden switch where... I was not in a good mood that day. That's all I can tell you. So sometimes it can seem like magic, but it isn't magic. It is simply, it simply demonstrates the value of how you talk to yourself. And there are certain issues where the issue itself is pretty small. So it doesn't take much of a nudge to move it out of the way. You know, there are other programs I've played a whole lot more extensively, like the accelerated healing program that I used to get rid of my rheumatoid arthritis. I played that for 15 months. That was still magic, but it was, that took 15, 15 months, but it, it's a, it's a cool process when you experience it. You know, I played the um, releasing anger program once and I literally felt my anger dissipate. It was, it's cool. It's a cool experience. If you haven't tried it, I would recommend that you go to innertalk.com and try it. Thoughts are stream of consciousness definitely have creative power in our lives. But now, I think you just explained to me why our staff surreptitiously plays Joy of Humor when you're around. <laughs> I don't <laughs> All right. So. That's all the time we're going to take for letters today. But I do invite you to opine by emailing me at Eldon. That's E-L-D-O-N at EldonTaylor.com or by joining me on Facebook. We sincerely appreciate your comments and feedback. Now to this week's show, A Complaint-Free World with author Will Bowen. So let me tell you a little about today's guest. After several decades as a top performer in media and insurance sales, Will Bowen became a unity minister. 
In July of 2006, he was teaching a class on prosperity. That summer morning, Will Bowen's life and the lives of millions of people worldwide would change forever. Will handed out 250 purple rubber bracelets, inviting people to use them as a tool to monitor their complaints and to eventually eradicate complaining from their lives by going 21 consecutive days without complaining. His idea exploded, and to date, more than 11 million purple complaint-free bracelets have been distributed to people in 106 countries. Among others, Bowen has been featured on Oprah, NBC's Today Show, CBS Sunday Morning, the ABC World News Tonight, and Fox News. The complaint-free movement he began has been featured in thousands of newspapers and magazines. So on that, let's get him in here. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Mr. Will Bowen. Thank you, Elvin. It's good to be with you. Um, we've been looking forward to this. I enjoyed your book. It's, it, it's a great read. It's a fun read. And it's, you know, it's a read that I think teenager to senior citizen can really enjoy, relate to, and learn from. But, you know, listen, you heard the spotlight. Is there ever an appropriate time to complain, and if so, when? Sure, and, and I think it all comes down to what our, you know, our definitions of complaining are. Um, we tend to overuse the word complaining. We tend to use it uh, in, in the wrong context. The dictionary defines the word complain as to express grief, pain, or discontent. And absolutely, it makes sense for us to express grief, pain, or discontent. I'm one of the first people who, if I don't get good service at a restaurant or something like that, I will, I will ask for what it is I want. But the thing is, if you're speaking directly and only to a person who can resolve the issue, you're not really complaining. You're providing feedback and a request. What most people do is they complain, and, and the average person complains 15 to 30 times a day and has no awareness they're doing it. Complaining is like bad breath. We notice it when it comes out of somebody else's mouth, but not <laughs> when it comes out of our own. But people complain really to get their social needs met, and that's what the book is about, helping people to understand the reasons that people complain. And it's really just a way of engaging with other people but doing so, unfortunately, at a very low level of consciousness, which keeps us stuck in, in, in low-level, unhappy lives. Okay, so let me see. I, I can parse this out a little bit. My wife's right. If I'm complaining about the driver in traffic, you know, hey, stupid, because they cut me off or, you know, change a lane without signaling or something, I'm not doing anybody any good, Right. right. Exactly. But if I'm, you know, if it's a situation uh, my wife says is a microaggression, but in my opinion is racial and unacceptable, and I take it up right there, that's okay. That's not a complaint. No, that is not a complaint. That is dealing with, that is attempting to resolve an issue. That is speaking uh, facts. That is speaking um uh, facts which are always neutral. You know, the facts are not neutral. You can, I mean, are neutral rather. You can be unhappy about what's going on, but these are the facts. Complaints, um, complaints are always about how dare this happen to me. Um, the idea is for us to get our needs met without ideally getting too upset about it. You know, um, I've, I've just in the last few weeks have had a few issues with, with businesses and have had to speak. 
to, I was in a hotel room a few weeks ago, and I had, you know, they quoted me a certain rate. And when I went to check out, it was almost double that. And I asked to speak to the manager, and they said, well, the manager can't adjust it. And I said, well, then I'd like to speak to the person who can adjust it. And eventually they did. So, um, and that's not complaining. Complaining is accepting that and then calling everybody and going, can you believe what happened with this? I'm never going to stay at XYZ Motel or Hotel again, or blah, 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 blah. That's complaining. Okay. So, now... I had a situation in my own life that's very similar to a story you tell about your dog, Ginger. Um, I don't think I handled it as well as you did, but the the bottom line here is, well, I'm going to ask you to tell that story, and then I'll ask you my question. Please, please share with our audience the story of Ginger. You know, it's so funny that you bring that up. That was the one story my original agent told me couldn't be in the book, but I felt pretty important it was important it's the number one story i'm asked about i say that it makes sense on occasion to express grief pain or discontent but we tend to express it over the least little things and then i give the example of something that you know is a pretty significant event and that was that uh, i was actually riding and and i heard a noise and uh, someone had hit hit our dog and you could tell she was in a lot of pain in the road and a car had a truck rather had driven on by, and I, I there was no other cars or trucks around, so I knew it had to be this truck, and I couldn't believe the person didn't stop. So I got in the car and drove up and chased him down actually, and he got out of the car, telling me that he knew that he had hit my dog and wanted to know what the heck I thought I was going to do about it, and I was just in shock, and he said it again and poked me in the chest. And um, honestly, I, at that moment, all I could think about was my wife and daughter and them having to try and deal with their dog and take her to bed and hope for favor, which we were not able to do. She died. But if I had gotten angry and hit this guy or told him off or just, you know, gotten enraged, then it, it wouldn't have helped anything. So it, it was just anger raging inside of me and my blood pumping. I just got back in the car and went back and handled my business. So that's the story. Well, it, it it's really not, because you know, I'd like you to continue. You went home, and this oh, story stayed with you. you. It oh, lived with yeah. you. Yeah. yeah, thank you. You know, it's like I said, okay. Yes, no, you're right. I did handle everything, and then um, uh, I noticed that I just couldn't get over my anger at this man. I kept seeing his face, and he had, you know, my daughter, he actually pulled back up and watched us put the dog in the car and just sat there while my daughter was sobbing, six years old. And I kept thinking, how could someone do this? And I lay in bed and I visualized going after this guy with a baseball bat. I wasn't trying to, but it just kept coming to my mind. I was so angry. And so finally, after about three nights of not being able to sleep, I sat down in my office in my journal and I I got my journal and I started journaling. And I thought to my, I started writing out, how could someone do this? How could someone kill a family pet? How could someone break a child's heart? And then I realized that someone who could do that must themselves have been hurt, damaged, must not know the love of a child, must not know the love of a pet. And I realized that rather than this person being a monster, this was a pitiable person. And I was able to come with Pete to peace with that, to forgive him. And, and it was in that moment that I came up with a phrase that a lot of people keep reminding me about. It's in the book, and that is that hurt people hurt people, or people who are hurting hurt others. 
And so uh, whenever you find someone who's lashing out in anger and pain, they themselves are in, in anger or in pain. Rather. Now, I want to tie this all back into complaints here in a minute. But in order to do that, I think I'm going to have to flip you over to the other side of that coin because there is a popular uh, treatment in psychology thought as catharsis theory. It's this venting idea. You know, I mm-hmm. I, I knew a psychiatrist in, in Utah who used to replace mattresses. He'd buy foam mattresses and replace them about every three months because he brought patients in just to lay on these beds and beat them. But... <clears throat> You tell of Bushman's findings, you know, t- share that with us. So on one hand, you have all this anger, okay? You find a way to resolve that and forgive the person. But someone else might look at that and say, yeah, but this could be a psychopath because a guy looked you in the eye and said, yeah, I did that. I know I did that. What are you going to do about it? And when you said you're going to punch him, he says, I'm not going to hit you, and if you hit me, it's it's assault. So okay. he was he was actually in your face, touting or, or, or taunting you in a way. So yeah. my background would see that this is a real sociopathic or psychopathic individual. You were able to see that in a different light. What did Bushman discover about this? How you might, in the alternative, express the anger. That's such a great question, and that study that Dr. Brad Bushman did at the University of Michigan was just so impactful for me. We have this idea, and as you say, there's this catharsis theory, there's uh, primal screen therapy. There are people, and I want to be very clear about this, there are people who were raised in families where they were not allowed to speak, where, where their opinions didn't matter. If they haven't helped them, if they did say something, they would get beaten or abused. And so those people have learned to swallow their capacity for speaking up for themselves, and so they don't. So there are some people who need to be encouraged to do that, but it's a very small minority. And the idea that everybody could benefit from, you know, shouting and screaming when they're upset. People say to me, you know, you need to vent to uh to, to, you need to complain. You need to vent. Uh, and I say, if that's the case, then wouldn't the biggest complainers also be the happiest people? And they're not. They're the most miserable. Right. But Bushman did this wonderful thing. He took 20 students, put them into 20 small rooms, gave each of them a pen and a piece of paper, and said, I want you to write an essay on anything you choose. And at the end of a half hour, he collected the papers, and he told the students that he was going to give each student's essay to another student to grade, but that was just a ruse. They actually gave them to a research assistant. He took a red pen and wrote F, worst essay I'd ever, I've ever read on the paper. The idea was to make the students angry and then give them two different options to process their anger. The first group, 10 of the students, were given pillows, just like you say, mattresses, but in this case, they were pillows. They were told to beat the pillows against the wall, jump up and down, curse, scream, do whatever they needed to do to get their anger out. They then told the other students, the other 10, to simply sit there and feel their anger. They gave them 20 to 30 minutes to do this experience until each of them felt complete. And then they said, you know, we feel real bad about what that other student did to you by putting such a harsh statement on your paper. Of course, there was no other student. It was a research assistant. But they then told the students, they brought into each student a tray, and on the tray was a bottle of hot sauce, habanero hot sauce. 
and a glass, and they told them to pour as much as they wanted into the glass, and they would force the student who had wrote the negative comment to eat to drink the hot sauce. The interesting thing is that the students who had vented their anger, jumped up, down, screamed, cursed, did whatever they wanted, poured on average three times as much hot sauce indicating that rather than becoming less upset at this person, they became more. They then distributed to each of the students a list of words with letters missing. Um, C-H blank blank uh, blank E, R blank P blank, uh, K-I blank blank. To the students who had expressed their anger, who had gotten angry, those words became choke, rape, and kill. Whereas to students who had simply felt, felt their anger and who had also paid, poured one-third less hot sauce, or two-thirds less hot sauce, those words became uh, kite, chews, and rope. So it just showed the, um, the energetic stirring up that goes on and perpetuates an upset when someone tries to express it like rather than the myth that we have that it somehow it's like letting air out of a balloon it's not it's like stirring a pot right and and so one half of the element that one might criticize about a complaint free world would have to do with my ability to vent if i can't vent well i might is that exacerbate the problem when indeed the venting, as you've discovered, as science has shown us in a number of studies now, actually exacerbates the problem, right? That's exactly right, yes. Okay. And it comes, we, it's basically we've got a break, Will. I'm, I'm sorry. We've got a hard break here. We're going to go to break. When we come back, we'll pick this up and talk about the other half of what I can see most might object to. We're speaking with Mr. Will Bowen about his life and marvelous book, A Complaint-Free World. You can learn more about Will by visiting his website at willbowen.com. Now we have a video for you in the chat room today discussing his book, so if you're not in the chat room already, now's a great time to get over there. Do stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. Change has never been easier. Whether you wish to lose weight, stop smoking, build better relationships, become creative, enjoy ultra prosperity, or simply relax and promote self-healing, InnerTalk has been repeatedly demonstrated effective in the most rigorous of scientific studies. Our customers love InnerTalk. Sean wrote, I have struggled with bulimia for over 30 years and have never been able to lose weight without restoring to it until I used InnerTalk. Vicki wrote, My hubby has been using the Stop Snoring CD, and already his dangerous and raucous snoring levels have stopped. Celeste wrote, I recently graduated from Taft Law School with honors. I'm writing to tell you how much your InnerTalk CD, Excel in Exams, has helped me. With over 300 titles to choose from, there is something for everyone. Check it out today by going to InnerTalk.com. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Alvin Taylor.
open up my eyes and off of my tongue rolls my day's first gripe complaining that i'm tied to this to that a complaint free me is where i want to be at Well, then one day I saw it on a newsstand and read this little story about a purple wristband. A small reminder to whine no more is where we gotta be a complaint-free world. Dot org. And we say no more, no more complaining people. Their lives are changing with flying high. Complain-free world, no more, no more. Complaining people, their lives are changing. We're flying high, creating a complain-free world. Welcome back. If you've just joined us, we're chatting with Mr. Will Bowen about his life and book, A Complain-Free World. You can learn more about Will by visiting his website at willbowen.com. Now we ask our guests for their favorite music, music that has some true significance to them. And by now you know that music psychology is a new interest of mine and is a field of research with practical relevance in many areas, including intelligence, creativity, personality, and social behavior. All right, we just played some of your theme song, Will. So tell us, how and why did you come up with this one? You know what? I did. Um, actually, that was one of many songs that have been written about the complaint-free phenomenon. I mean, it, it just, you know, I handed out 250 bracelets, and now it's 11 million. And several people from all over the world have written songs. That's just one of my favorites. That's by a woman named Steph, Steph, Stephanie Dada, D-A-D-A-S. She's a wonderful musician. And uh, she wrote and sent us that song and actually came to Kansas City and performed it live for us. All right, 21 Days. That's the magic and, uh, and, and the purple ribbon. I want to hear all about that. But first, let's go back to what we were talking about before the break. The other half of your story, to me, really comes down to, okay, look, if it's not positive to vent, uh, somewhere along the line, I mean, how am I hurting myself by just internally recognizing that this is a dope in the traffic that I'm driving with? Um, and, and, and I think part of your book that I found also very interesting is that part that talks about thoughts creating. So what am I creating, Will, when I'm complaining all the time? Well, you're basically running a negative soundtrack in your life, and, and it's going on. And so as a result, what you're doing is you're looking for reasons to complain. You're looking for things to complain about. Therefore, a seeking you shall find, as Jesus Christ said, you put your eyes on something, you know, that's what you're going to see. So by going around and constantly complaining, you are, you know, <laughs> there are more things. If you, if you started right now counting everything that's going well in your life, you'd never stop counting practically. And the thing is, there are only handfuls of things that are going poorly. The problem is that we focus on them because, as I said earlier, it gives us something to talk about to others to get our social needs met. But unfortunately, okay. it's destructive. Let me have you do this, if I may. 
It's uh, July 2006, I believe, right? And you're teaching a course on prosperity. What has prosperity and complaining? I mean, how are they possibly related? That's where I want you to go. (laughs) Well, and it was actually, you know, Wayne Dyer put it really well. He said, "If if you're unhappy with what you want, why would you want more? And when you start teaching in a class on prosperity, everybody's going to show up because they want more. But I wanted us to be energetically and emotionally and psychologically pure as we approach this. And that was stop bitching about what you got before you get more. And so what I invited the people to do was I gave out 250 of these rubber bracelets as a tool. The idea is every time you catch yourself complaining, you switch it to the other wrist. It's a mindfulness exercise. And most people, you're on day one. Your goal is to go 21 days without complaining. Most people spend the first couple of months on day one just switching. But you become aware of it. And so the less you become, the less you're complaining, the less negatively focused you are, and the more likely you are to attract prosperity in whatever form it, it, it is to you, whether it's a healthy body or more money or a great relationship. Cool. Now, you you happen to, I'm going to take advantage of this right now, because you happen to send me 10 bracelets. And so, um, for our callers out there, the first uh, first 10 of you uh, listening to this show who call in, um, our producer, Mr. Eric Ryder, will take your name and your address, and I will see that you receive one of these purple bracelets. The number to call is 425 Three seven three five five two seven. I'll repeat that in case you didn't have a piece of paper. Four two five three seven three five five two seven. Okay, so I get my purple bracelet, and I, I've got my bracelet on my arm, and I've decided, okay, I'm going to remove complaints, uh, and then I complain. That's the very first thing I I realize is I'm complaining about the bracelet. It interferes with my watch. Right. Now, what do I do? You switch it. And it's for every spoken complaint. The dictionary defines complaint as to express grief, pain, or discontent. So if you think it, it doesn't matter. But what we have found is that the number one, I had no idea this was going to be a worldwide phenomenon when I handed out 250 bracelets 10 years ago. But what we have found is that the number one side effect of taking the 21-day challenge, of going the four to eight months it usually takes to go 21 days in a row without complaining at all, is that most people become much happier in the process. And the reason I feel is that prior to that, their focus is on what is wrong so they can talk about what is wrong. If you remove their capacity to talk about what is wrong, human beings are still going to talk. And so they begin to search out positive things, and it actually makes you more aware of what's good, and you become a happier person. Okay, you outline in your book five reasons people complain. Flesh that out for us. Okay. The five reasons people complain are remembered by the acronym GRIPE, G-R-I-P-E. The G in gripe stands for get attention. It is the most common reason people complain. People will complain at work. They'll be sitting there forever, and then all of a sudden they have to go and complain to a coworker. Well, the real thing is it's not that they, the issue has all of a sudden reached a critical point in their mind and they have to talk about it. They're lonely. They want to talk to somebody. And talking to somebody about what a beautiful sunrise you saw or a great movie you saw doesn't carry the same urgency and legitimacy as going over and griping about something. So people complain to 
get attention. They want to be noticed. It's the number one human need is to be noticed and acknowledged by other people. In my opinion. So the G stands for get attention in gripe. The R stands for remove responsibility. This is when you give someone a task, and then they start complaining about all the conditions around the task. They don't want to tell you, you know, Eldon, I'm really not going to do what you asked me to do, but I'll complain about the situation so that you'll finally just drop it and go, okay, you know, I see, you're right, don't even try. So the R stands for remove responsibility. The I in gripe stands for inspire envy. It means to brag. People, especially in our culture, um, we don't like braggarts. We don't like people who talk about what they have and what they've done. But what we do like is to know that people have done and have admirable or enviable things. And so the way to get that across is to complain about what you have. Um, I always make the joke when I speak and work with corporations around the world. One of the stories I tell is about a good friend of mine who just bought a $40,000 speedboat. And I know it's a $40,000 speedboat because he's always complaining. He well, he loves the boat, but he complains that the trailer's not good enough. You know, when you spend $40,000 on a speedboat, you think you'd get a better trailer or a floaty key ring or something like that. So that's the I in gripe. He just wants everybody to, to look up to him, and he doesn't want to brag, but he inspires envy by complaining. And the P in gripe, holy cow, are we seeing right now. The P stands for power. Uh, we see power complaining for power in this country every four years. Um, if you don't have a complaint, you don't have a campaign. All politics is based on complaining. Nobody ever got elected by saying, hey, everybody in Washington's doing a great job. Send me up there to do the same thing. You've always got to talk about what rascals and scoundrels they are and how they need to be thrown out. So you literally have to have something to complain about, or you have nothing for people to follow. People, people don't follow people, it's sad to say, but people are far more likely to follow people who have something that is upsetting than they will follow someone who is inspiring. It's unfortunate, but it's true. So the P in gripe stands for power. The E in gripe stands for excuse poor performance. Now, excuse poor performance is the past tense version of remove responsibility. If you give somebody a task and they don't want to do it, they'll complain about the, the circumstances as a way of getting you to let them off the hook. If they do it and they bomb, they don't want to say to you, hey, you know, that thing you asked me to do, I messed it up. Instead, they complain about all the circumstances to make it seem like no one could have done it successfully. So that's excuse for performance. G-R-I-P-E. Get attention, remove responsibility, inspire envy, power, and excuse poor performance. You know, I never thought of inspire envy as, but my wife is just sitting here picking on me, pointing at me. Uh, I, I, I've got a collectible um, car, and I've spent far more on that car than I want, and I gripe often about that, but I, I never thought about it as Okay, that's uh, uh, all right. You know, it's interesting when you read your book to discover the different ways that we actually complain that we wouldn't think normally are complaints. But when you flesh it out that way, you can see how each of these actually are creating negative effects in terms of our expectation of of what the you know what it is that we want out of life and what it is that we have in life isn't that the bottom line to your book 
It really is. And it's so funny when you say the word negative and, and, and we use the word positive. I was um, doing a speech a while back uh, for a big audience of accounts, I think it was. And right before I went on, I overheard two women talking. One said, <laughs> um, who is this guy speaking? And the other one said, I don't know, one of those positive thinking guys. <laughs> and I thought, <laughs> you know what? I actually looked up the word positive right there before I went on stage. And the word positive means that which is present. We, to be a positive person is to focus on what is possible based on what is present. A negative person is always complaining about what's missing. So if you really were to boil my book and philosophy down to, yeah, it's to be positive. And that is complaining is always about what's missing, what's wrong, uh, whereas as, as um, uh, being positive is always looking around saying, well, we still have this. Well, we can do this. Let's make this happen. Okay. Well, you define four stages in your book. I, I found the way you approach this to be most interesting. Uh, you know, Begin by telling us what you mean by unconscious incompetence, and then take us right on through to conscious competence, if you would, please. Sure. And I would love to take credit for those four stages. I didn't come up with them, but I nor my agent nor my editors could figure out who it was. Closest we got to was that someone from Harvard supposedly came up with this idea. But there are four stages whenever you try anything. I'm learning now to read music and play the drums. And so you're, you, whatever it is, if you want to master anything, you go through these four stages. I'm a juggler as well. And so I went through, and I use that in the book as the four stages, right, the unconscious do. and... Huh? I say, right, you do. We'll talk about that maybe if we have time, well, okay, uh, especially your exercises for juggling. But I didn't mean to cut you off. Go on. Tell oh, us no, about it. okay. Uh, the unconscious incompetence. What that means is that you are unconscious as to your incompetence. Most people walk around complaining 15, 20 times a day in the unconscious incompetent stage. They have no idea that they are complaining nearly as much as they are. So if we are to call complaining an incompetency, if our goal is to go complaint-free, then they are unconscious of their incompetency. When they put on the complaint-free bracelet, they move into that second stage, which is conscious incompetence. They're still incompetent. They're still complaining. And that's why a lot of people, or when a lot of people quit the complaint-free challenge is when they go, oh my gosh, I'm really switching this thing a dozen or more times a day. And yes, that's the point. You've got to be mindful of it. You've been unconscious of it. We're now making you conscious of it. But you still haven't changed your behavior long enough. You haven't gone long enough <clears throat> to where you have mastered it and are no longer doing it. So you go from unconscious incompetent to conscious incompetent. Then you move to what's called conscious competent. That is where you're not complaining. You really are not. But you are happy, having rather to watch every word that comes out of your mouth. Um, you become hypersensitive of what you're saying. I call this the I'm not going to move my bracelet stage because this is where you're like, you'll start to complain, you'll go, but I'm not going to move my bracelet and I'm not going to say it. And that can be a bit of a struggle. You literally are retraining yourself. But if you stay with it long enough, then you move into what's called unconscious competent. And that is where you no longer complain and you're unconscious of having to stop yourself from doing it. You are just competent at being a complaint-free person. That's a, it's a very interesting model. And, and, I, and as you're right, I, I, 
when you look at anything that you do, you're going to go through those stages before whatever it is, uh, how you sign your name to, as you say, play the drums, become uh, an automatic process, a uh, a part of your uh, your rote skills. Yes. Okay, listen. Uh, you tell a marvelous story. You said you juggle. And um, you give these great exercises for juggling. I took a point out of that. And the point was basically relative to the baseball story. One tiny effort uh, repeated over time accumulates to something totally unexpected. Share both those stories with us, will you please? Well, the, now, as far as the juggling story, I'm not exactly sure other than how I learned to juggle. And that was just to... Uh, <clears throat> It's just doing it over and over again. You've got to be willing to drop the ball a lot. Um, and bend over uh, and pick it up. Isn't that the mm-hmm. exercise that you give them? Okay, pick that it up again. Now pick it up I again. Do, no. yeah. okay. When I teach somebody, I always say, I, I say the first thing to do is drop the ball. And they'll drop it and they'll look at me like I'm crazy. I'll say, now pick it up, drop it again, now pick it up, drop it again, now pick it up. And now get used to doing this because you're going to do that over and over and over again. And uh, I, in fact, I teach people to, to learn to juggle standing over a bed because you don't have to bend over quite so much. You can just drop them right there. But anything we're attempting to master, we just we have to give ourselves time to be really terrible at it. And the same is true at becoming a complaint-free person. When people put the bracelet on their wrist, they find themselves just all caught up in, in, in oh, my gosh, I'm such a complainer. Yeah, but you always were. At least you know about it. So um, that's how it relates to juggling. Now, the other story you wanted me to share was what, Elvin? Was the largest baseball in the world. Oh, little... yeah. That's a, and that really ties in well with the juggling, yeah. I took my daughter on what we called the Obscure Tour a few years ago. We, we live in Kansas City, and we drove to some obscure sites in the Midwest. Uh, we went to the world's largest underground lake, which is actually down in southern Missouri. And we went to see a man named Mike Alexander who has the largest ball of paint in the world. And to me, it was such a great indicator of, of life because Mike is a house painter, and one day he came from home from work and he noticed a baseball on his workbench. And he had a little bit of leftover paint in his bucket. So just on a lark, he painted the bucket and set it there. And then the next day, he painted it again. Finally, he drilled a hole through it and put a big hanger on it and kept painting it. And when we went to see him, he was up to his 22,000th coat of paint. Now, a regulation spalding baseball is under three inches in diameter. This is over 52 inches wide and weighs 3,700 pounds. The way they know is they actually measured it. They weighed it on a truck scale. They took the wall out of the garage where he keeps this thing and put it on a truck scale. But um, it indicates to me, because a, a coat of paint is about the width of a human hair. Right. Doing a little something every day directs the course of your life, whether it's not complaining or whether it's complaining. And either one of them are going to have an effect. And if, as the saying goes, you wait until tomorrow, you'll wish that you had started today. <laughs> That's okay. Right. Let's, uh, 
you know, flesh out for us how your complaint-free program has impacted businesses, churches, and schools, and maybe share what you consider to be your favorite testimonial, uh, because you shared a number of them in your book, but testimonial of how it's impacted people's lives. And we only have a couple of minutes, so. Okay, sure. Well, I mean, as you say, it has been amazing. I never intended on creating something like this. It was not like I sat down and came up with it and was just smart. It just was, I was so fortunate. But we have worked with organizations and created programs for schools, churches, and businesses. Um, General Electric took on the complaint-free business program in one of their divisions, didn't even tell us about it, and uh, wrote me later with all these statistics talking about how productivity had gone up 30%, turnover had gone down 90%, just all these amazing changes that happened at General Electric. Um, one of my favorite stories, I don't know why, it's a small thing, but it was a girls' flag team in Missouri, 10th grade girls. They do the flags or at, the, at the football games while the halftime is going on, and there are these competitions, and this girls' flag team had never placed Locally, They had never come anywhere near to winning any sort of a competition. And that year, uh, the 16-year-old girl who was the captain of the flag team, she wrote me a letter and said she was going to give all the girls complaint-free bracelets, and they had two rules. They could not complain to each other. They could not complain about each other. That was it. And they not only won local, they won state and came in second nationally. And that was the only thing they had done different, was they didn't complain to each other about each other. But real quick, on a personal note, I was doing a speech to a group of teachers oh, about two months ago, and there was one woman I could tell was fully disengaged. She just was not paying any attention. She didn't seem to be. She just seemed angry. And it was a day-long event. I did a day-long training. And we went for lunch, came back. The woman came up to me crying. I mean, this was a, not an emotional-looking woman. But she cried on my shoulder. She told me that she and her husband had agreed the night before to file for divorce, but after hearing me speak, she learned how much complaining destroys relationships and that she asked him to please, let's not get divorced, let's not complain to each other, not complain about each other, and uh, it was amazing how that just stopped at the end of a marriage right there. So that's, those are three of literally thousands of stories we have. You're changing lives, Will. It's a great book, uh, A Complaint-Free World, in paper, international bestseller, revised and updated. I recommend it, and I recommend that you go to his website, willbowen.com. Learn about this, and uh, by the way, if you haven't called for your bracelet, do it now, 425-373-5527. Will, I want to thank you for sharing with us and for the work that you've done, sir. It's my honor, Elton. Thank you as well. All right. We've come to the end of another episode of Provocative Enlightenment. I want to thank all of you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed our show, and we'll join us again next week, same time and same place. And do tell your friends. Let's have them join us as well. Okay. Until next time, wherever you are in the world, remember, well, a purple bracelet and believing in yourself always matters. Provocative Enlightenment has been brought to you by Progressive Awareness Research and other sponsors. Provocative Enlightenment is a syndicated show and appears on other networks. 
For a schedule of showtimes, visit ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, write to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com.